All right, let's do a little bit of a review here. Uh, this is part five out of four. I know, I'm sorry. It's a, that's an improper fraction. We uh, Part five out of four, yeah, that's an improper fraction, but I'd already had stuff created like such and such out of four because I was originally going to do four sessions, so please pardon the, the goofy numbers there. But this is session five. Um, we I want to do a little bit of a review over what we talked about in the last one. And that was glorifying God first. So we want to make sure we do that each time. Um, last time we looked at Psalm 93. It said, the seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. And then I went ahead and uh, there's a picture of a uh, uh, turbulent sea right there. That guy right there, uh, Jorge... Vasquez is, to my surprise, a NASA oceanographer, which I didn't even know they had him until I found him. Uh, I do not know, by the way, if he is a young earth guy. I just, uh, I like the way that he was crediting God with his creation and that he, he glorified God for it and he really enjoyed studying it because of that. Um, and he got that from his dad, if you remember. Okay, what do we talk about in astronomy? Starlight and time. That was actually a continuation from the previous astronomy discussion. I had a couple more things I wanted to cover because I said I would. Starlight and time was by Russ Humphreys, one of my favorite creation scientists. And uh, only unfortunately today it occurred to me that he may have a conflict in his theory. Remember, he's the guy that, that uh, has the theory he used Einstein's relativity and he figured out oh if we've got a gravity well that we're living in here in the middle of, well near the middle of the of the universe then time could be go elapsing slower for us and faster for the outskirts of the universe but if that's true if we've only undergone a few thousand years you know where I'm going don't you and the outskirts have undergone billions of years why are the galaxies still nice and spirally out there you know I mean unless the light slowed down or something. I don't know. I, I haven't actually read his book. I've read some articles and some pieces of his theory. So I don't know. It just occurred to me. I was like, well, wait. This seems like it conflicts with that. Anyway, he's got uh, that book if you're interested. Then that guy, oh yeah, Jason Lyle. He's right here out of Colorado. And I've heard him speak in person before. And he's like another brainiac. And it's, it's kind of hard to follow what he talks about on his theory, at least in, at first glance. But he's got space-like events and time-like events. So, I mean, it sounded like the dual nature of light or something that he was, he was applying it to the space-time continuum. But he's got these cones that illustrate when something is which, I guess. But it's kind of mathematically heavy. But that's, uh, he's, his theory is called the anisotropic convention theory. Anisotropic convention <coughs> Um, and he compares it to time zones on the earth. Remember he said you could fly out of, we watched his video clip, you could fly out of Kentucky, land in, you know, Chicago and same time. All right. We talked about the ocean as well, as far as geology goes. And we talked about its salinity and its sedimentation, which according to the calculations, they are too low for 3.5 billion years worth of accumulation. Um, the sea would be a lot saltier and the sediment would be a lot greater. 
sediment, I think was, it should be 250 times what it is right now, I think. Anyway, we also talked about the helium in the zircon crystals. You've got the uranium, thorium, you've got the, the, basically the radioactive material that breaks down and there's a mother element and a daughter element. One of them breaks down into the other because it's not stable, it's radioactive. And it takes a certain amount of time according to their calculations. But then when, so does the leakage of helium take a certain amount of time. And the helium leakage is coming out a few thousand years worth, six or 7,000 years worth. But the radiation is like big, big billions. I don't 100% trust the radiometric dating. I probably don't have time to talk about it tonight either. I'd like to do a continuation of geology. We'll get to that in just a second. Carbon-14, that's something that they measure. Uh, living things ingest, they inhale carbon-14. They get a certain amount of that in their body. When they die, the clock stop, starts because they stop taking in new carbon-14, and that which is in them starts to decay. It's radioactive also. It decomposes has a short half-life though, 5,731 years, I think, or 5,371. But the weird thing is they find it in stuff that's supposed to be millions and millions of years old, fossils, coal, diamonds, and they've done careful experiments where they ensured no contamination, but nope, it was original to the specimens and it shouldn't be there. And I told you about, uh, yeah, there's still C14. I told you about that, those big tree trunks out at Florissant. And I asked the ranger, I said, hey, how, what, have they done carbon-14 tests on this? No need, way too old, because they think they're 35 million years old, so they won't even bother. But I've got a feeling they might show carbon-14, uh, which should all be gone by um, the different sources I've read from secular stuff is 100,000 years max. It's in the 90s, I think. More of them stop after around 55,000. It's more common for people to think it, it can only reach out that far. Uh, we talked about the bent layers of the sediments, the fact that they're not fractured and split the kingdom come. Meaning, one of two things, they had to have either been bent when they were soft, when they weren't fully solidified into rock, or number two, they metamorphosized from excessive heat and pressure. The problem was there wasn't metamorphic evidence. You don't have the gneiss and the schist and the, the marble and whatnot, these different metamorphic rocks. So that leads us to a stronger conclusion. They were bent when they were soft. The um, Psalm says that the mountains rose up and the valleys sank down. And I think there was a lot of tectonic activity like that after the flood and during the flood probably. But uh, that's why when people try to suggest, oh, really, a global flood. You realize that Mount Everest is 29,000 plus feet high? Well, yeah, I realize that it is that high. Now, do you think it was always that high? It used to be a little pipsqueak. Okay, then we talked about the Lazarus bacteria pulled out of salt samples 250 million years old. And still alive. <laughs> I'm sorry that it it kind of bothers me. DNA is the most fragile molecule. It, it falls apart the fastest and the easiest. And not only did they find DNA in this thing, they revived them. <laughs> they were spores that were dormant. Granted, they can last a long time when they go into a dormant state like that. But just physical stuff 
whether uh, when it's what do you call it inanimate when it's not metabolizing when it's like it's dead it's not really dead I know that but still that's an awful long time that's a lot to ask okay and then we found out also which was a surprise to me that some Pokemon's refuse to evolve and that's the last straw for me on these big old clutter this one wasn't as bad though this one wasn't as bad. I did clutter it up again. I got a report for the Center for Corrections. Come and get me, coppers. Okay, here we go. Um, oh, I wanted to make an acknowledgement. Uh, Phil talked to me after class last week, and uh, I commented that three fiction authors, one of them was Irving that wrote uh, Ichabod Crane, you know, the, the Sleepy Hollow, the Headless Horseman. One of them was him, and I couldn't recall the other two. But I said that they had initiated that fake history of a flat earth and it caught on. Well, what Phil pointed out to me that my, my logic was kind of faulty because just because he did that doesn't mean that some of those ancient societies did not think that the earth was flat. And that's true. That's, that's, a logical, uh, that's logically valid. So if I want to say that, let's see that ancient tribes invented false gods, but they didn't invent Yahweh. He's real. It's the same kind of logic. Do you see what I'm saying? So, correction accepted. Whoops. Phil, hey, I was pretty, I was pretty easy going about that, right? Absolutely. Did I get all enraged or anything? <laughs> Stomp up and down? Did I throw anything? No. That's what I mean. You guys could just feel free to disagree. Say, Mike, you are full of it. That cannot be, <laughs> it can't be true. All right, go ahead. We could talk. All right, let's talk this, uh, this session now. Creation glorifies God and warns man. So I've just got some sample pictures there, stained glass. That's a pretty nice stained glass window of Jesus. But then you've got the earth with the sunrise coming over it. You've got the DNA and you've got a, uh, sonogram of a baby so all very impressive things about creation but I also wanted to add that excuse me creation also warns us especially the the flood excuse me more on that in a second the wrath of God this scripture says from Romans 1 the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may, may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So we even have a scripture supporting what they call the teleological argument. In other words, things look designed because they were. Contrary to Richard Dawkins, who said they have the appearance of design. No, they were. All right, and here's another scripture I picked up. This is out of 2 Peter 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where's this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So apparently they're deliberately ignoring the fact that God created everything. And then it goes on, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. 
By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So it looks like also they don't want to remember that uh, the waters also destroyed the world of that time. Global flood. A lot of people, a lot of folks deny that. Uh, some insist on a local flood. The Bible says that it went, it even specifies 15 cubits higher than the highest mountain. So entire planet was covered. And all of the societies around the world have, well, I shouldn't say that, most of the major societies have a flood legend. It's not exactly like the one from the Bible. There's, there's deviations from that, but a lot of the main chunks are still there. All right, and one last time, my position, I'm a former subscriber to the possibility of theistic evolution. I now completely reject that, both on scriptural and scientific grounds, and I hold to a literal genesis um, and about a 7,000-year universe. I don't know exactly. I haven't got it pinned down yet. It's like uh, last, last thing I was at 7,400, but that might end up getting reduced. i got to look into the Masoretic text and see... You know what their claimed mistake was that's in there as opposed to the Septuagint all right my science hero Louis Pasteur the more I study nature he said the more I stand amazed at the work of the Creator I can relate and I'd like to go to Paris and pay my respects if I get a chance one of these days God willing I believe science has been captured in a false paradigm and would love to see it once again brought to the foot of God's throne to give him the glory he deserves the majority of science absolutely does not do that. I've, I've read 95%. Uh, some feel that that could be inflated. Maybe it is, you know, from anecdotal experiences and stuff, running into people in the science community. But it's a lot. A lot of the secular science community is atheistic, materialistic. Uh, Carl Sagan's famous for his, you know, the cosmos is all there is or all there was and all there ever will be. Um, it's been captured under a false paradigm. I don't think that was entirely intentional. I think that some had nefarious purposes, but once it took hold, it kind of became the accepted view in science. And I, I brought up that movie. Uh, if you get a chance, watch it. It's um, expelled. No intelligence allowed. Ben Stein hosts it. And he wasn't even really fighting against evolution. He was just saying that, hey, it's not really right that these scientists bring to the table in the science community that, hey, this, what I'm studying, really looks designed. And then, boof, they get the boot. All right, if after this you are not a young earth creationist, I am still your brother in Christ, contrary to the statement I made the other day when I said I would disfellowship from every one of you. I, I kind of feel bad about joking like that. I don't like, I shouldn't have done that. I really, really appreciate you side so much. I consider it an honor to walk among you and I'm baffled that God lets me do so. Okay, by our schedule, we're supposed to continue on with some more geology, talk about Mount St. Helens and stuff. It's got some really interesting things that happened mighty fast. Um, and then just a little bit of biology. But what I propose instead, I would like to go this route and hit the paleontology stuff first um, and focus on that one tonight. You'll see why probably. And then if time permits, resume right there at the geology. Okay, and then we'll talk about 
um, Mount St. Helens, some other things, some radiometric um, function, how it works. All right, just know there's a lot of young earth creation evidence out there you can look into further for yourself if desired. Um, I really, <laughs> it's been an informative journey. All right, the preview I gave you last week was that. What do you think it is? And I give you a hint, it's not a hamburger or sausage. Chick-fil-A nuggets. <laughs> Closer. <laughs> Barely. <laughs> All right. I said you've never seen it in a test book. It's uh, fossil soft tissue. It's actually stuff that was recovered from a fossil that was original material to the organism. In this case, I think it, I think that one came from the T-Rex. Okay, T-Rex thigh. I know people are looking at me like, wow, you really have gone off the end. Huh? You'd be surprised. Watch. Prepare to be shocked. Told you I'd show you some shocking stuff, even if you're careful. Okay, soft fossil tissues, background. Well, let, let me talk about the terminology a minute. What's a fossil? Petrified remains or evidence of a prehistoric organism or a natural mold or cast of such. So evidence of the organism can also be included. So if you got them little worm burrows and stuff that are in a, a slab of rock, that counts. That's also a fossil, even though it didn't come from the body of the fossil. Normally, what happens to a fossil? Well, it entirely gets replaced by mineral. At least this is what used to be thought. Um, it gets all of the original biological material gets replaced by mineral. And so then it's like a stone replica of it that can last. Well, look at the pyramids. They're still standing tall. Uh, the Colosseum's still there. So they, stone can last a long, long, long time. Soft tissue can mean a couple of different things. One, it can refer to completely fossilized, permineralized, or stone non-skeletal skin or organs so if you got some skin or you found somehow found a heart of an animal and it's totally turned to stone that is considered it's called soft tissue a soft tissue fossil because it's a fossil of something that was once soft tissue number two oh this is not the shocking stuff okay that's when it's complete stone that's what a lot of scientists would expect Number two, it can also refer to actual unfossilized material from the original animal, like that slide I showed you in the preview. And I said it wasn't hamburger? That is shocking. Why? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Let's first of all figure out, is it really the original material? Are we sure about that? How sure are we about that? Could there have been mistakes made or something? We're talking 68 million years in some cases, 250 million years. So, well, maybe we should take a peek. Oh, there's that same chunk of, of um, oh, that's actually from the endothelial tissue, I think, from the, from the bone marrow cavity inside a, a bone, inside the, I think that came from the inside of that thigh bone of the T-Rex. I'll talk, I'll tell you about that in a minute. All right, MA, you already know I abbreviate like that, mega annum, million years. GA, giga annum, billion years. TA, Terra Annum, trillion years. We won't be needing that one, even for secular discussions. There have been hints about soft fossil tissue for about 50 years. This has been going on for a while. 
1961, you got a petroleum geologist discovered a dinosaur bone bed in Alaska, which remained unstudied for over 20 years. Whoops. In 1970, a geological surveyor found a site similar to the more recent 45 million year old frozen forest with wood remains that can still be sawed and burned. And just to remind you, stone doesn't burn. 1987, Canadian Eskimo, not the mighty Quinn, not that guy, nope, discovered a hadrosaw lower jaw. So that would be that part of the skeleton. And that was not entirely fossilized. That one may have actually been uh, mostly not fossilized. I'm not 100% sure on that, but it wasn't entirely. Okay, this man, his name is Dr. Brian Thomas. He's a science writer, mostly for the Institute for Creation Research. It's an organization like Answers in Genesis. It's a creation ministry out of Texas. Uh, they, they established a museum down there. Uh, he has a Bachelor of Science in Biology, a Master of Science in Biotechnology, and a PhD in Paleobiochemistry. Probably the first PhD of that ever issued, I don't know. Uh, but it basically means fossil life chemicals. So what do you figure he's studying? Stuff. Collagen is uh, the protein, the really tough protein actually, holds bone material together. And I believe that's what he did his PhD dissertation on. That's a, that's a link right there you guys can go to if you're interested in reading some more from him. It's, a good, uh, it's got a good resource page on his work. Unlike some creationists, he does not prematurely pounce on the evidence. He's pretty thorough about it. Here, let's watch... Uh, about a three and a half minute clip from this guy. Hopefully that'll open and work. Do I have to go to the, I accept the rules of this? Do I gotta go to PPCS or, how, you guys remember how I did that last time? Get the Wi-Fi up the top, so just go all the way to the top, you should drop down. Oh, it's not. I got it right here. here. Just click on that and then find one. Okay. Yeah, try that one. Okay. That disconnect your connection. Okay. That's what I wanted right there. I figured it was waiting on me to accept that before it let me in. Oh, come on. Go there. In 2008 and nine, I started collecting uh, reports that were coming out in the science journals. And sure enough, they were reporting on more than just... Uh, that T-Rex. They started reporting on, and when I say they, I mean uh, researchers from around the world, different labs, and different specimens from Europe. So they started coming in from Europe, uh, from um, all over, of course, Western North America, South America, and um, and more and more kept coming in. So I compiled them. By 2013, I had a list of 40 technical journal articles that had been published in the literature describing blood vessels, connective tissue. Um, proteins uh, integral to the bone, like for example, bone collagen. That's the protein that sort of holds bones together uh, in fresh bone. But and that protein falls apart, for, you know, just just like foods rot 
you could put it in the fridge and it slows the rotting, but um, this stuff is out there in the wild and uh, it's at whatever temperature is out there and it's not yet fully rotten, not yet um, degraded chemically either. And then by 2019, I was able to, to uh, fold in another 50 reports, so we were up to 90. Wow. And we, we compile all these reports on a spreadsheet and it's free online. I guess we can post the URL on the YouTube of this, you know, so everyone can click the little link. But I work with a colleague at a different creation ministry and he helps keep me accountable to curate the list so that no mistakes get on the list, get posted. And we are up to, drumroll, 122 different uh, reports. So we have stuff from turtles, we have stuff from dinosaur, we have stuff from sponge, you know, fossils from the very bottommost rock layer that have an evolutionary age assignment of over 500 million years. I think that because we're finding proteins in those fossils, that doesn't last that long. Doesn't last a million years unless you you know store it in liquid nitrogen or something. Right. So that begs the question then: How long can these things last? So secular scientists in, in the in the 90s, um, working in archaeology, had already done experiments by artificially decaying bone. And so they would take bone chips, bone powder, um, artificially decay that by increasing the temperature to accelerate what would decay at a normal rate at room temperature or outdoor temperature, or an assumed average annual temperature is how they do it. And then they would measure every so often during the experiment, which lasts about two months. The stuff completely decays in, almost completely, in a couple months. So we're talking about repeatable, observable, measurable decay rates for specifically bone collagen, which is insoluble. So you can take bone collagen, pour water on it, and it just rolls right off of the collagen. It doesn't, it doesn't get dissolved, which is probably one of the reasons why it does last longer, can last longer, but it still does not last uh, any, any longer than a million years at assumed reasonable earth surface temperatures. So does that make does that make sense? Does that answer the question? So it's not like we're looking at a blood vessel and saying this intuitively shouldn't still be here if it's a dinosaur blood vessel. We're saying this shouldn't be here at all because if it's you know seventy million years old, right? It shouldn't be here. Why is it? Okay, so here's a, a list. I put this together oh, a few years back, actually. Um, and I think I only went up to like 40 entries on his list. I, I have included, however, this time on, uh, just to see, on, I think, the last part of the list. I think I put a link down there that says the, there you go, updated list link. He's got a list that he keeps building on. So does he have all 122 in, in in the list that he mentioned here? No, he's up to 116 on that list last I checked, which was a couple days ago. So 116 reports of fines of this nature, stuff that should be totally permineralized. It's not. They're finding the original stuff. Whoops. Yeah. Okay, so there's that list. So how do these authors explain it? Obviously, this is not like I'm doing this study so they think, oh, gosh doesn't make sense. How are they explaining or what are the authors of these articles, you know, from the Royal Society or Nature? How do they explain? That's a good question. Let's take a look. Let's take a look at that. 
they uh, do find it really shocking themselves. And in fact, I want to bring up just a sec. Let me let me talk about this one for a second, and I'm going to uh, start addressing that. Oldest soft tissue in that list that I just showed is 252 million years old, but like I said, that it doesn't have all the entries. But there's a 518 million year old soft tissue has been discovered in the Cambrian layer at Qingzhan uh, Biota site, China. 518 million years. Also, DNA remnants have been discovered in a 75 million year old hadrosaur. That's kind of old now. Remember, we last time last week we talked about the Lazarus bacteria, 250 million years old, and they found. Vi not just viable DNA, they revived the thing. Okay, and then those uh, images are clickable for the articles if you want to go and, and look into them further. Okay, so this subject actually received little scientific attention. I told you it's been happening for like 50 years, so what, why not a big hubbub in the science community? Well, it didn't get one until this woman. Her name is Mary Schwartz Schweitzer, Dr. Mary Schweitzer. Uh, she's a paleontologist out of North Carolina State University. She is a Christian. She is an evolutionist. And she is a protege of dinosaur Jack Horner. Uh, okay. She says, I looked at this and thought, this can't be. Well, what did she look at? They were on a dig at, uh, I think it was Hell's Creek, Montana. It was a T-Rex thigh bone. And they either it got broken or they had to break it to, to load it on a helicopter and fly it out. Some of the matter inside the bone fell out. She was curious, took it back to the lab, put it in a weak acid and dissolved any of the mineralization. Problem was there was still stuff left. It didn't all dissolve. And when she looked at it under the microscope, she starts thinking, this can't be. Everyone knows blood cells can't last 68 million years. That's true, doctor. We do know that. They can't be blood red, cell, uh, red blood cells. We all know that. These were her comments. Her research published in 2005 on a sample from a T-Rex leg bone verified it was indeed original to the organism. Was there any protest from the scientific community? Of course. That's peer review, right? You criticize other people's work. Um, just some pictures of stuff that's been found. She, I like how she points out that arrow right there and she you know, describes that was actually stretchy. You could go back to normal. I mean, it's awful tiny. It says that right there shows half a millimeter. It's only about maybe three millimeters across at the most. That's probably that way. Okay. No, it's not hamburger, but how bad could it taste? Check it out. I, uh, <laughs> I was reading one time an article on this stuff, and you know how the, the readers can write and they make comments underneath the article? You know, they they, a discussion thread ensues. Well, one of the people, let's see, I read the comments from a reader desperately hoping they could capture T-Rex DNA and reintroduce them as in the movie Jurassic Park. So he could see one in captivity, 
No. He wanted a T-Rex burger. He didn't care. He, he never even mentioned anything about the age. He didn't care about that. He was just hoping they could re reconstruct these animals and get them back so that he could he could see he could eat one. Don't care how old this is. It's delicious. You guys, what do you figure it would taste like? Chicken? She did actually mention when she was studying the osteocytes of the bone that it looked kind of bird-like. All right, not to be confused with Wendy's nine patty T-Rex burger challenge, which was not made of T-Rex meat, but they did call it the T-Rex burger. Okay, how were her findings received by the paleontology community? Well, look at her comment right there in that article. I don't care what they say about me. Paleontologist stares down critics in her hunt for dinosaur proteins. She published in that journal, Science. Criticisms followed. One of the criticisms was, oh, maybe it's bacterial slime. It's not really the original material. It's everything got fossilized, but then since then, bacterial slime has crept in there and formed some biological material. And that's what you were looking at. She sounded insulted when she replied to that. It's like, it was almost like she was thinking, you don't think I would test for that? What am I, some kind of amateur? Uh, other complaint, or I mean other criticisms were, well, it must be contamination from, and multiple sources claim that. Multiple sources uh, propose that criticism, but Contamination usually doesn't and stretch back to its original shape. I mean, I guess somebody could drop a piece of ham off their sandwich into the into the specimen or something, but uh, she's a pretty careful scientist, so probably got insulted by that too. Um, some people come uh, criticize it's a one-off. You cannot replicate this. Science must be testable and repeatable. 122 different times sound familiar? Dr. Brian Thomas is putting the list together of all the times this stuff's been discovered. All right, so here's another example. They found soft tissue in a 75 million year old din in, uh, dinosaur bones. Uh, th they were dug up in Canada a century ago. That might have been the one where they like threw it in a drawer in a museum or something and just never did anything with it until finally it got studied. And they figured out, oh, look at this. Anyway, they found soft tissue in that also. Uh, ancient tissue found in a 195 million year old dinosaur rib. So-called 195 million years. And by the way, did you hear Brian Thomas in that video clip when he said secular science has pretty much accepted that living matter, I mean, formerly living matter, biological tissue isn't going to last but a million years max. And that's under ideal condition. Now that two-month thing that you heard, that was accelerated for the sake of the experiment. They uh, subjected it to more heat than normal. They were trying to rev it up faster so that they could study the decomposition. Nobody's used that for criticism though, so I'm assuming their decomposition experiments were well done or done correctly. All right, the results have been replicated many times. It was finally accepted and deep time preservation mechanisms were sought.
So this is where the secular science goes. I told you atheists and the majority of the secular science community is atheist. For that worldview to be coherent, they need evolution. It's got to be there. So they will interpret everything through that, no matter how silly it gets. And this kind of un irritates me as a student of science. Arguments are fine. I can accept those, and I do. But when it's silly, it's like, come on. Are you serious? That woman you mentioned, though, was a Christian. She is. Yep. Yeah. She would be most familiar with her research. Let's talk about her. What? How? What? She, when I read about her, because I did, she was actually angry at younger creationists for hijacking her hijacking, research. Misusing her research. So yeah. Obviously, she doesn't believe this is evidence for young Dr. Schweitzer, you are a scientist, one I respect. I'm sure you can accept criticism of your work. So she's a protege of dinosaur Jack Horner. She is a paleontologist. Her entire career is under the umbrella of the secular science community of paleontology. I don't know how easy it is for her to accept the possibility that maybe it hasn't been that long, Mary. You know what I mean? So scientists are human. They have bias as well. I have bias. All of us do. I know that. Um, but we'll talk about her research that she did to explore that, the preservation mechanism. Decomposition science says maximum longevity of original proteinaceous matter in vertebrate, hard tissues, bone, connective tissue, has been estimated at 3.8 million, million years. That's estimated. Brian Thomas says that's probably inflated because they were not relying only on the decomposition studies. I don't know what else they used. But that guy is pretty objective. He will throw out evidence if it's, you know, if, if it's not supportive. Um, I mean, he will accept. If it's good evidence, he'll accept it and he'll, uh, he'll mention it. Uh, anyway, 3.8 million years. He was saying 1 million years, and I've heard that a few times, that secular folks think that decomposition will not last over a million years. And that's, remember, that's under ideal conditions, if it's frozen, if it's super dry, and mummified, etc. Okay, average DNA half-life. I'm sorry, I don't remember what fossil that came from. I should have put that in there. But the average DNA half-life in this sample was estimated to be 521 years for a 242 base pair DNA sequence. You guys know that DNA is already a ladder, right? And every rung is made of two base pairs that meet. All right, and that the, what do you call it, the rails of the ladder is alternating sugar and phosphate. Well, um, I ran that, if you look at the note at the bottom, I've got the link there also if you want to read the entire article about that. I, I put it in a spreadsheet and half-life iterations show that there, there would be no intact base pairs it, after 5,000 years. And I, I Earlier, I had written down that it's pretty much all the way gone at 24,000. But I don't recall the source I used for that, that, that other calculation. So let's just stick with this. 521-year half-life would give you, you know, maybe 5,000 years. 
and then it's all gone. I told you, DNA is a fragile molecule. It is not going to last like collagen. Remember that stuff he described? He said water just rolls right off it. It's pretty tough protein. Yeah, that can last significantly longer. Dino DNA found. You guys can click that. I don't even remember what I put there, to be honest with you. That was, that was still from the previous time I used this slideshow. Sorry. Dino bone DNA. Okay. There's his published reports. More DNA stuff. Future studies. Uh, they're looking at uh, possibly racemization to... to uh, this is decomposition science, basically how fast things break down. Looking at something, looking at the evidence, trying to figure out how long ago it died. Racemization is basically when amino acids all have to be left-handed in living things. It's toxic to have right-handed ones. You can have isomers like mirror images in molecules, right? And they all have to be left-handed. So that famous Miller-Urey experiment that they did, that was a mixture. So that would have been very toxic to life. But... Um, uh, it was a racemic mixture, about 50-50. When things die, they begin to racemize. And they're trying to, I guess, establish rates. How fast does that happen? So that they can kind of reliably predict, hey, how long has this thing been decaying? <clears throat> Carbon-14 dating, I told you that's limited on its range. I don't 100% trust uh, radiometric dating anyway, but I'm not going to have time to talk about it. Probably. Okay, preservation mechanisms. Here we go. This is some of the stuff that they suggested. Toast model. The toast model says that cell waste products accumulate after death, contributing to cross-linking like formaldehyde. Like formaldehyde. Formaldehyde will make something last an awful long. What's the longest you ever heard of something preserved with formaldehyde anyway? I'm serious about that question. I don't know. What's their record? How long have they been able to preserve? Probably longer than one person lives, that's for sure. Right? Has anybody gotten... An appendix removed, or tonsils, or anything, and ask the doctor to put it in a jar from Elahad so you can keep it and put it under your pillow. And that better be $25 you get for that one. No? Never have? Anyway, um, the concerns, my concerns about this were, were have any decomposition studies been done on the half-life of such materials? So even if it had the same effectiveness as formaldehyde at preservation, which I doubt, uh, but they're saying that the cross-linking between the, the proteins preserve it better. But how long? How much better? I don't know. That's the problem. I'd like to see how long. How long could it last? The other problem is this results in a very dark, toasted-looking specimen what about the soft tissues that are light colored? Which there's been plenty. They're not all toasted. So I'm hesitant to accept this explanation. Iron cross-linking, Mary Schweitzer, there she is. She did an experiment on this and she says that the free radicals cause proteins and cell membranes to tie in knots. They basically act like formaldehyde. There we go with that again, the cross-linking of the proteins so that they're tougher, harder to break apart, harder to decompose. She says that um, free radicals, primarily iron is what was used in that experiment, is what can do this. Is there iron present in these specimens? Yes, because blood carries a lot of iron. That's why it's red. Blood has a lot of iron. Could it act like formaldehyde and extend the uh, composition of this stuff? 
There's the, that blood cell that she was shocked to look at. Oh, and then uh, that's one that they experimented on. Excuse me, I think she took chicken bones or something. But I don't think she ever did report, you know, what's the decomposition rate? How long would they expect it to last under these conditions? The, so I asked, I, oh, Dr. Thomas's response, there you go. What's the maximum iron cross-link preservation time? And uh, his other problem with it, his other criticism of this experiment was it was a lab-specific blood preparation where it had a lot of really concentrated blood and iron coating this specimen that they were testing for, you know, how fast it decayed. That picture on the right, by the way, is the one that they were doing an experiment on. And two years later, I guess, it hadn't broken down very much. It hadn't broken down very much. How much, though? That's my question. How long could it last under these conditions? And secondly, um, I'd have to look at the, uh, the reports on all of those specimens that were found that had soft tissue and were they really soaked in blood like this lady did with the experiment. So is that a fair comparison? Oh, uh, that's fake. I mean, I just showed a picture of liquid nitrogen. Some people are crazy enough to actually run their hand under it for a second. I mean, just like tap it and get away, which I wouldn't recommend. It will freeze you really fast. Anyway, that's what uh, one author said, that even in liquid nitrogen, that material would not have lasted 65 million years, or 68 million, I guess, is what she said that T-Rex was. Uh, okay. And then the lastly thing, last thing I'd like to talk about on this issue is this fellow right here. Oh, great. Clicking everywhere. Okay. His name, Mark Armitage. He was, and hopefully still is, a microscopist, a trainer of people to use the microscopes, and a user of them himself. He has a Bachelor of Science in Education, a Master of Science in Parasitology. I know that's not really related to exactly what we're talking about right now. He's formerly of Cal State Northridge. Is that part of Berkeley? Cal State? Okay. Because I'm pretty sure he had a job as a microscopist at Berkeley when this happened. His sta the staff and the students at the school loved the microscope training they got from him. But then he had to go digging. And he went on a dig and he dug up a triceratops horn. And there's a picture of the sample. Let's take a peek. Dinosaurs lived and when they died. It would certainly be not at the least expected. In fact, Mary Schweitzer, who was the first one to really... I'm sorry, I can't remember. The guy on the right, the guy on the left is Del Tackett. He's the host of The Truth Project, if you've ever watched that. The guy on the right was the partner of Mark Armitage on that dig when they dug up the Triceratops horn, sorry. They make this popularized. Now, the first one to really get discoveries that were noticed by a wide range of scientists, she comments in interviews that she had her technicians repeat the study over and over and over again simply because it's so difficult to understand how you could have this material still in a dinosaur fossil 
that is supposed to be 65, 70, 75, 80 million years of age. Because any competent biochemist knows that tissue, cells, proteins break down. They don't just, they're not concrete. They don't just exist for eons of time. They break down. And in fact, they tend to break down fairly quickly depending upon the conditions. And certainly in Hell Creek, the conditions would be warm up, cool down, warm up, cool down. We found this horn, for example, just a mere one foot below the surface. Now, it was in very solid sandstone, so we had to chisel it out, but it was just below the surface. So there was no thermal protection by being deep in the ground. So it would have been very much subjected to fluctuations of hot and cold and hot and cold. And any biochemist can tell you that is the fastest way to destroy material. It's difficult enough to envision it surviving for four or 5,000 years, but 60 million years, 70 million years, see, that really becomes very difficult to make any kind of biochemical basis for how it could have survived. Okay, well, let's talk now about what you do with these, okay? okay. You've got these here. Uh, what would be your standard process of wanting to then examine? Well, as you can see, these look like a rock. So what you have to do is you have to literally dissolve the rock away. So what we do is we soak the fossil material in a solution called EDTA. It's a very mild acid that will grab the calcium ions out of the fossil. And so you just literally dissolve the fossil. And what you'll have after you dissolve the fossil is the tissue will be remaining because the EDTA won't dissolve the tissue. So where are you now in this process? What would be your next well, step? Well, some of these have just started, but the next step would be then we would take we would take and we pour off the solution. Okay. Right now I'm not I'm not worried about what's in here. I will collect that and analyze I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. Would do. Now Mark Watch this. was able to extract <laughs> some very thin layers of elastic material away from the inner core of the horn. But he didn't have to decalcify the horn in order to do this. It looks delicious. It's stretchy, it's flexible. In fact, look, notice, see how it's stretching? It's stretching almost to twice its original size of what it was. See, this again is original dinosaur tissue that he's peeled directly from the fossil. There was no decalcification that he did first. See, this is how accessible this tissue was. He didn't have to remove any fossilized bone to get to this tissue. Okay, now, here is a light microscope picture of the tissue itself. You can see the texture of it, and in fact, see, notice the arrows, they're pointing to cells. These cells specifically are what we call osteocytes. Those are both... Okay, so that was a pretty shocking discovery in that Triceratops horn from the dig on which Mark Armitage was a participant. Okay, and what? Published his findings in a peer-reviewed journal, and that's the, the journal, Acta Histochemica. It's not put out by that school that he worked for, by the way. And he got fired. He got fired from Berkeley. I'm pretty sure it was Berkeley he was working at at the time as a microscopist. Kept everything, was able to show the discrimination, took it to court, and won a six-figure settlement. One of those uh, remedies was not to get his job back, I don't think. Or if it was, he didn't accept it back. He never did go back to work for them. Um, it sounds like there was one, when you read about it, it sounds like there was one uh, professor who really had it in for him. 
and uh, was gunning for him. But they wrongfully terminated him for what? Because he found a triceratops horn that still had stretchy material on it and he published it in a peer-reviewed journal? <coughs> okay, what are the implications? Let's wrap this up. The more this type of evidence that accumulates, the more one of the following conclusions are supported. And I, I can't think of any others. I know sometimes you got a false dichotomy or trichotomy. But, whoops, either the world is very old, but dinosaurs perished more recently than previously thought. Would that not explain the tissue still being, you know, original material being in there? Okay. The world's not very old. Me, that's what I believe. There is an unknown preservation mechanism in the wild that defies currently known physics, and by golly, this secular atheistic community better find it. They don't really have to, though. Like I told you before, is evolution going anywhere? Absolutely not. That is a, a part of their worldview that they just will never give up. It doesn't matter how, how silly it gets or how much evidence to the contrary is discovered. It's not going away. Why is this a problem? Worldviews are at stake, at least for atheism. I told you, Christians, this, they can kind of take it or leave it. Eh. Evolution, yeah, maybe God used it, maybe he didn't. I personally absolutely don't believe that he did. Um, for other reasons, too. I wish we had time to talk about mutations, but there's a couple of the different views. We've talked about some of that. Young Earth creationism. But atheism needs evolution. Evolution needs deep time. You've got to have millions of years in order for evolution to occur. So there's the ideological argument, I guess you could say. What are my predictions about this? More soft tissue is going to be found. It already has been since I originally created this uh, slideshow here. Armitage actually started an organization dedicated to the field. I made a donation to it. Dr. Brian Thomas. Thomas's list is up to 122, according to that video clip. Um, DNA will be found in fossils. Radiocarbon studies will show ages of thousands of years versus millions of years. But it kind of gets ignored, I guess. Yeah, you found, okay, so it wasn't contamination. You found C14 in diamonds. Secular preservation studies will abound. That, I, I've got a feeling that's going to get bigger. They're going to have all kinds of experiments trying to figure out how did this stuff last 70 million years? Anyone in science suggesting that it's not millions of years will face the consequences. Poor Mr. Armitage. Although he did win his case. Students from... No. Students from middle school through graduate programs will continue to be indoctrinated. Creation ministry... I've got a feeling... I've got a feeling that they're going to come against creation ministries harder. Because they feel that uh, creation science sets back science progress. Remember what I said? I feel the same thing about secular science. <clears throat> Seculars will try to suppress creation teaching outside public education, which is where it all is anyway. It doesn't get taught in public education. It's in creation ministries and stuff like that. Others could be. Okay, and that's all we have time for this evening. I told you I would get back to the geology thing if we had time. Kind of figured it might not happen. But the other slides that talk a bit more about the geology, about Mount St. Helens, about uh, just for a sampler, 
the lava dome on Mount St. Helens when radiometrically dated using strontium thorium, thorium strontium, dates it between 0.38 uh, and 3. Point something, 3.34, I think it is, million years. So when it gets radiometrically dated, it turns out sometimes in the millions of years. It happened in March of 1980. May, May, May thank you. We yes. Yeah. Oh, you actually saw the... Uh, well, we were... 30 miles from it. Whoa. The, were you trying to drive and speed over there in time for the eruption? No, we were in the hospital. We we had to oh leave. yeah. Oh, excuse me, Jolie. Hey, we got a, a big <laughs> geological event. I gotta go. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, that is really close. Okay, so thank you, you guys. That was my final uh, session of this topic. Like I said, I'm available to talk about it more if you find stuff. Michael, look at that. This shows that you are indeed a tin hat Kool Aid drinking quack. Look at this. Bring it up, please. I'm, I'm, I'll discuss it calmly, respectfully. Okay, and you guys are dismissed. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.